you're being seated, if you'll go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And I want to go ahead and invite our kids. Nobody's leaving today or next week, but we do have packets for everybody. Uh, Cadence, if you would not mind coming on down, and uh, Stevens, if you don't mind helping her as well. But we've got one group for the K1 and 2s, and then we've got another packet for the 3, 4s, and 5s. So if you'd like a packet, kids, while the adults are finding Luke chapter 2, uh, if you're a guest with us and you're like, this is the huggiest church I've ever seen, I am not going to apologize for that. Um, I'm not going to apologize for the fact that we'll pray for one another. I'm not going to apologize for the fact that we love one another. Uh, but that's why we do fist bumps too. So I heard one little kid say, I hope he knows that guy. Well, I was like, yes, Tony's a friend. I can hug Tony. I probably should have asked him permission before that, but you know, I never do, so it's okay. As we continue through the Gospel of Luke, uh, we're going to conclude our, our Christmas series this morning, Promises Made, Promises Kept. Uh, not because uh, all of a sudden that stops. Uh, Luke is going to continue uh, to highlight, and therefore so will we, uh, Luke is going to continue to highlight Old Testament prophecies that are coming to fruition in the New Testament, uh, that, that will come to fruition in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. But we're, we're also going to begin intentionally turning our attention to the cross. Uh, through Dr. Luke's pen and perspective, we're going to tell the story from cradle to cross. And, and we're actually starting in January, we're actually going to also sing the story. Uh, on January 23rd, we are going to begin an 11-week journey. Uh, I'm going to lead a worship choir that is going to, to do the story, the musical. Uh, and Sunday afternoons at 4.10, rehearsals will go to about 5.30. Uh, we're going to present it to the church family on March 27th, and there'll be some more information, but we're going to have a, a seasonal choir uh, for about 11 weeks focused on the story. We're going to meet in here at 410 on Sunday afternoons. It's going to be an incredible opportunity. Uh, you may be like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like holding the microphone and singing on stage. Well, this is where you can get lost in the choir, uh, and you're like, you know, I, you've never heard me sing. Uh, there's people like Karen who, you know, I would look at Karen and go, we need greeters, and um, uh, and and sh and I, for those of you that are guests, and you're like, wow, he just went from hugging everybody to slamming one of his friends. No, Karen will tell you this straight up as well. Uh, that's not her gift. But but a lot of people like worshiping in a choir, and so we're going to have one. It's it's not going to last uh, all year long, but it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, it's what I did for about 20 years, and I loved every minute of it. So we would love to have you. That was probably the worst commercial for joining the choir that I have ever done in the history of the world. It's going to be a lot better than I just described it. You're going to want to wish you came. So there you go. Be a part of it. My point in all of that is as we, as we journey through Luke and as we tell the story of Jesus Christ, every week is going to be a, a combination. It's going to have a threefold purpose. Uh, number one, as we, as we walk through the, the book of Luke, we're, we're going to teach the text. Uh, we're going to be faithful to Scripture. We're going to teach Scripture. We're going, to, we're going to work our way through the majority of Luke's Gospel, recognizing Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in the New Testament, relating the Gospel of Luke to the other Gospels, as well as other, uh, their unique perspectives. And we're also going to tie the Gospel of Luke into Paul's teaching. Remember, Luke and Paul were contemporaries. They were friends. They were traveling companions. They were ministry partners. And we're going to see in Acts and in Paul's letter, Luke's 
gospel being played out, being lived out in the early church. So number one, we're going to teach the text. And number two, we're going to apply the text to our daily lives. We're going to teach the text. We're going to be faithful to the text. And then we're going to apply the text to our daily lives. While Acts demonstrates the gospel being played out and lived out in the life of the early church, the gospel is is just as applicable in 2021, 2022, as it was when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. We can apply God's word to what you and I are going through right now just as easily, just as readily as the early church did when the Holy Spirit fell down, when the early church was being birthed. We will take Jesus' teaching, the example of his living, and as we make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit, we will see him apply that teaching and Jesus' example in every area of our lives. Our work, our school, our families, our marriages, our parenting, every relationships, everything outside of work, uh, practices, games, rehearsals, organizations that we are part of, uh, relationships in our neighborhood, uh, people that we, we interact with while we're running errands. The opportunities that you and I have are only limited by the number of hours we have in a day and how available we make ourselves to the Holy Spirit. That's the, those are the only limitations that you and I have. The fact that we all have 24 hours in a day and how open and how available, how much room we make in our lives for the Holy Spirit to do in and through us what he wants to do. James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us in his book in the Bible, he encourages us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. We can't just come on Sunday morning or even during Bible studies during the week and be taught and hear and listen. We have to apply God's word, God's truth to our daily living in every aspect of our lives. This is just a building. This isn't the only place where we do church. We got to go out there and do it in our workforces and do it in our, at our little league games and do it in every aspect of life. Wherever you go, whatever you do, there is going to be an opportunity to live out and to share the gospel. And that's number three. Number one, we're going to teach the text. Number two, we're going to apply the text. Number three, we're going to share the gospel. In some way, shape, form, or fashion, we are going to present the gospel each and every week as we tell the story through the book of Luke. What is the gospel? The gospel is this. We're all sinners. Our sin separates from God, us from God. The consequence of that sin is death, not just a physical death, but an eternal spiritual death. We are eternally separated from the God who created us to be in a relationship with him. We are sinners. Our sin separates from God, us from God. The consequence of our sin is death, but Jesus came. He died in our place. He overcame sin. He defeated death, and he provides eternal and abundant life. There's more, a little bit more to it as you describe it, but that is the gospel. And each and every week as we walk through the text, as we apply the text of Luke's gospel to our lives, we will share that truth. Now, why am I telling you all that? Because there are folks in your lives and folks in my life who need to be occupying the seats all around us each and every week. And I can promise you this, if they come any Sunday from here on out, not that before, hopefully it's happened as well, but I can promise promise you this, whoever is in this pulpit, whoever's on this platform, as we walk through the gospel of Luke, they are going, this person will be faithful to the word. 
This person will be intentional about Scripture's relevance in our daily life. And this person is going to be committed to making sure that no one leaves without hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what is going to happen at First Baptist in Atlantic. It's what has happened. It's hopefully what is happening. And it is what is going to happen in the days ahead. We are going to be faithful to God's word. We are going to apply it to our daily lives so that we can have an impact in this community. And we are going to be clear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God is at work in and through this church. And I firmly believe it is because of our commitment to his word. He is doing some incredible things. I am having a wonderful time as your pastor, but I have nothing to do with what is happening here. This is a movement. This is a movement. This is a movement of God's Holy Spirit based, grounded, founded, and happening because of our commitment, our relentless commitment to His Word and our relentless pursuit of loving on this community. Don't think for an instance it's anything else. It is God being faithful to His people and through His church. So with all that said, I want to invite you, if you are physically able, to join us as we stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 2. I'm starting with verse 21. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel." His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There is also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about Him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. You are my rock. You are my redeemer. Father, may I decrease so that you might increase. And may we conclude our time this morning more like you than when we started. Because we have been in your presence. We have heard your voice. And we have been changed by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. You may or may not have noticed uh, either before or as we were just reading it now, but the word law 
is used five different times in the passage that we just read. Verse 22, when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished. Verse 23, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Verse 24, according to what is stated in the law of the Lord. Verse 27, that was verse 24. Verse 27, the parents brought in the child to perform for him what was customary under the law. Verse 39, when they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord. Why does this matter? If you will hold your place in Luke's gospel and either either turn with me to the book of Galatians or at least jot it down. If you're like, where would I jot it down? We have these scripture journals over here that we want everyone to have as we journey through the gospel of Luke. They're five bucks if you have it. They're a gift from us to you if you don't. Uh, we want to make sure everybody has a, a copy of the gospel of Luke. But turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. If you're turning in your Bibles, you're going to Luke. You're going to start moving to the right. You hit John, Acts, Romans, First and Second. Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says this, when the time came to completion, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Here's the deal. Christ was born under the law so that when he redeemed us out from under the law, there would be absolutely no reason for us to return underneath it again. Jesus went into the law. Jesus was born under the law so that he would come out of the law so that when he brought us out of the law, we wouldn't have to return under it. Now, we are extended grace. Now, we are extended grace. We receive mercy. We are sons and daughters. And that passage goes on to tell us that we are heirs. H-E-I-R-S. We are heirs. We are spiritually, eternally speaking, co-heirs with Christ. What does that mean? That means we're adopted into God's family. We have all the rights all the privilege, all the joy that comes along. What is Jesus's now belongs to us. Think about that for a minute. Woo! Jesus is the son of God. We are now co-heirs with the son of God. What's Jesus's is ours. I'm not saying it, scripture's saying it. He was born under the law to redeem us out from under the law so that we would never have to bear the burden of the law. If you, if you wanna know what the burden of the law is, counting God's laws plus the man-made laws, there's probably between 660 to 700 laws that the people had to keep in order to be right with God. You wanna bear that burden? Because I don't. And what Jesus came to do was to redeem us out from under that law so that we never have to go back under it in the first place. Matthew, go to Matthew's gospel. Matthew's gospel, if you're in Luke, you want to go backwards a little bit to Matthew's gospel. It's the first gospel, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5, this is during the Sermon on the Mount, starting with verse 17. This is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Don't think that I came to abolish the law this is Jesus speaking. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, to destroy, to do away with, but I came to fulfill the law. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, Revelation chapter 21, until earth and heaven pass away, not the smallest letter or even a stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. He didn't come to do away with the law. Now keep in mind, when we're talking about the law that Jesus is talking about here, we're talking about God's law. 
the law that God put into place. We're not talking about the hundreds of other man-made laws that the religious leaders put in place just to keep the people in check. We're talking about God's law. Jesus is not saying, I didn't come here to do away with that. I came here to fulfill that. The law was and, and is God's way of revealing himself to mankind. So when Jesus is saying, I didn't come to do away with that, what I came to do was be the revelation of God to all mankind. I'm here just like the law was. The law was in place and Jesus came to show God's people how to live like God's people. And here comes this God man, Jesus, who's going to be a, the epitome of, of the law. He's going to be loving God, loving your neighbor, and so forth. Why is, why is any of this important? Because the two people we are about to meet in this text have been living under this same law, as well as Roman, uh, under Roman oppression. These two folks have been waiting and longing and seeking the fulfillment of God's promises, the fulfillment of God's law, the fulfillment of God's grace, and the fulfillment of God's love to his people. These two individuals have been looking and longing and waiting for and seeking the salvation that God has offered them. Look at verse 25 in Luke's, Luke's gospel, chapter 2, Luke, verse 25. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. He knows the law, he lives the law. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. What is consolation? Consolation is the comfort that somebody receives from somebody else after a loss or disappointment. What is, what is Israel, why does Israel need to be consoled? Because of their constant rebellion against God. Because of their constant disobedience. Because that, they've rebelled against God. They've gone their own ways. They've gone to their own selfish desires. They have created a divide and therefore a loss in their relationship with God. They are an oppressed people. The Roman government is oppressing them to some degree. Uh, the Roman military is oppressing them to some degree. But while that is their circumstance, the true oppression in, in the nation of Israel, in the people of God, the true oppression in their life is their own sin, their own rebellion, their own selfishness, their own pride. They have created their own loss. And these, this Simeon is waiting for Israel's consolation who is going to come in the, in the, in the person of a Savior as a nation, as a people on the whole. They have turned away from God. And for the last 400 years, God has let them feel it. And Simeon is waiting for Israel's consolation, for Israel's salvation in a very real and tangible way. He, he's waiting for this messianic hope. He is waiting for this Savior. And it says, and the Holy Spirit was on him. While the people of, of God as a whole have failed, they failed God. There is this group, there is this remnant, there is this small but faithful group through whom God is demonstrating his favor and his grace and his blessing. The Holy Spirit was on him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death until he saw the Lord's Messiah. We have no idea how old Simeon is. We just know that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he wouldn't see death until he he saw the Lord's Messiah. So verse 27, guided by the Holy Spirit, he entered the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, to be circumcised, to be set apart, uh, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God and said, now master, 
You can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. Two thoughts. This is considered Simeon's song. There are three songs, three Christmas songs in the text of Luke. One is Elizabeth's, one is Mary's, and this is Simeon's. This is considered the last one, and it's divided into two sections. The first is a personal word of celebration and gratitude. The, God has made his promise through his Holy Spirit and God's now fulfilled his promise to Simeon through his son Jesus. The second is, is Simeon's word of celebration and gratitude on behalf of the entire world, on behalf of the entire people. While there is obviously no John three sixteen quite yet, that's Jesus as an adult, Simeon, by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life, recognizes that the baby he is holding is his own salvation, is the salvation for his people Israel and is the salvation for the rest of the world. Look at verse 32. Simeon calls him a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. The Greek word that's used here is is D-O-X-A, doxa. And it's the Greek word for the Hebrew word kabod. K-A-B-O-D. Dokes is the Greek word. Kabod is the, is the Hebrew word. Why is that important? Because it's getting as original to the text as is absolutely possible. What both words are trying to communicate in the Old Testament form is the radiant splendor of God's character. The radiant splendor of God's character, which is most often demonstrated or revealed as light. You may be familiar with the phrase, the Shekinah glory of God. One of the texts that's most familiar to us is Moses at the burning bush. It is when God's presence is displayed or revealed to his people in this incredible light that can be described as nothing other than God's very presence, God's very character. It literally means that he caused this presence place to dwell with the divine presence of God. And what Simeon is equating this baby to, this light, is the character of God, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God. Simeon knows that he's not just looking at a baby. He's looking into the very face of the God of the universe. And he is saying this light of revelation that's for the Gentiles, this glory of the house of Israel. And his father and his mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Really? <laughs> you might think that their reactions will, were, would be more along the lines of, well, yeah, it's our boy. No, I mean, I don't know what you were like when your, your firstborn came into the world. You know, how fast could you get those pictures out? Showing people, she's awesome. She's awesome. She's going to be the first female president. She's going to be the ruler of the world. She's doing anything she wants. But they were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. But you've got to keep in mind that we have the advantage of Scripture. We, we have the entire story. Our hindsight is 2020. And yet how often, even with our hindsight being 20, how often is, is our understanding really slow? to grasp the truth and the wonder. Chuck Swindoll says it like this. He says, The reality of God becoming a human would take the people who knew Jesus a lifetime to appreciate. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, 
Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. The word means to be spoken against. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. What did Jesus refer to? Je- what did Simeon refer to Jesus as a moment ago? Light. What does light do? Light pierces the darkness. Light exposes. And when it exposes, and because it exposes, it will be opposed. And that opposition is going to get violent. His betrayal, his arrest, the beatings, the mockings, the floggings, the nails in his wrists, the nails in his feet, the crown of thorns on his head, the cross, the sword in his side. Simeon recognizes Jesus as the salvation of mankind, but he also seems to be aware of the cost, of the price that's going to have to be paid. Quickly, there's a second individual, someone who has been waiting faithfully. Verse 36, there was also a prophetess, Anna a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. There's Luke again giving us specifics so that we have a historical, an accurate historical account. Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She didn't leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. Now listen, at that moment, the moment she comes upon the child, the moment she encounters Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, at that moment she came up and began to thank God and to speak about Him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. We don't know a whole lot about Anna. Here's what we do know. Her name, Anna, or it's Hannah, uh, means grace. It possibly has a combination of grace and mercy. Number two, she's a prophetess. God reveals His Word. God reveals His message through Anna to, to, to his people through Anna. Number three, she's a widow and she has been for quite some time. She was married for seven years. He passed away uh, and she's been a widow for at least the last 84 or something years. Uh, she did not remarry. That would have been encouraged, but she chose not to remarry. Instead, she has devoted the rest of her life to prayer, fasting, worship, and service to the Lord, specifically in his temple. And knowing that, what we need to understand is more important for us to know about Anna, more important than who she is, is how she responds. That's what Luke is really focused on, is how Anna responds. And the first thing she does is she gives thanks. And the second thing she does is she starts telling people. She knows, like Simeon did, the Holy Spirit has obviously revealed this to her because we don't figure these things out on our own. The Holy Spirit has revealed to her who this is, and she knows who He is. She knows what He's come to do. She also knows that she's looking at her salvation. She has been expecting it. She has been longing for it. She has been looking for it, and she has also been living for it. Folks, there is going to be, as Scripture tells us very clearly, there is going to be a day. Jesus came once as a baby. There's going to be another day where He comes again. And there are several different Scriptures that, for, that I'm not going to quote them all, but they're basically asking us, how are you going to be found when He comes back? Are, are you going to be glad to hear the trumpet sound? Or are you going to be like, oh no. Are you going to be found waiting, living, looking, longing for His arrival when He comes back to claim His bride? How do you want to be found? How, how will you be found living when He comes again? Just a question. That was free. And here it is right in front of her. And she immediately thanks God. 
Just like Simeon did, they just thank God, they praise God, they worship God because of what, and then immediately she starts telling everybody who will listen. Folks, I was saved at the age of seven. And I've probably told you this before and I'll probably tell you again. I was saved at the age of seven. A friend of mine, Rachel Gothy, got baptized. And when we got home, I asked my father why Rachel Gothy got baptized. My father used that as the springboard upon which to tell me about salvation. He told me that I was a sinner. He told me that I needed a Savior. He told me everything I told you about the gospel just a minute ago. And at that moment in my bedroom, my father led me to faith in Jesus Christ right then. That was, that was 40, almost 40 years ago. And I'll tell you this much, I haven't gotten over it. I'm, I'm, I'm almost just as excited as I was at that moment in time. Why? Because I've seen more and I've had more of God's truth uh, be, be, be invested in me. I am not done. I haven't gotten over it. I am still just as excited about my salvation as I was at that day at seven years old with my father in my bedroom. I'm just as excited about it. And I hope that 40 years from now, I'm just as excited about my salvation as I am today, as I was 40 years ago. And I hope there's nothing anybody can do to shut me up about it because I want to tell everybody I can about the life-changing power and the life-changing love and what God can do and what Jesus can do. I hope when I'm 86, when I'm 106, when I'm 126, woo, if I live that long, boom, I hope I'm still telling people about Jesus because he's that good. As long as there are empty seats in this building, we better not keep our mouths shut. We had an incredible Christmas Eve. This is not in my notes, so this is free too. We had a packed house at five o'clock. And I was really nervous that nobody was going to come at seven o'clock. And then we had about a half house packed at seven o'clock. And it demonstrated to me that we needed to have the two services. Why? Because we're reaching into our community we're reminding our community that we're here. We're reminding our community who we represent and why we're here. I don't know if you can think back because you've slept since then. I've slept since then. But do you remember Easter Sunday last year? When Tony and Stephen and a bunch of other guys were stepping out and getting more and more chairs because some idiot on our staff had underestimated God and not put enough chairs out. I'm not going to say names, but I'm just saying And we as a staff, we are, we are having conversations about, well, what do, what do we do? Do we, do we go to two services? And then I'm, I'm also having other conversations with people who are like, well, you need to understand that we're, at some point we're going to have to knock the walls out. And we're going to have to make more room. And folks, don't hear me. This is not an ego thing at all. I've got plenty of people in my life who will make sure it's not. This is about reaching people with the gospel and us doing everything we possibly can to make sure that every life is changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And as long as there is one seat that's empty, I will be just as excited as I am as I was 40 years ago. Because 40 years ago, he saved me. 40 years ago, I got eternal life. 
40 years ago, I began the greatest journey of all time. And it has not been perfect, and I have failed miserably on a regular basis. But I do hope, how old am I? 46-ish? Okay. I hope when I'm 86, I mean it. I hope I am just as excited. And I hope that you can't shut me up. Simeon and Anna. Promises made, promises kept. As we enter 2022, are we looking? Are we longing? And are we living expecting God to do something incredible in our midst? Because I can promise us this. If we'll look, and if we will long, and if we'll live, He's going to do something incredible. What do you want God to do in your life? What do you want God to do in the life of His church? What are you asking the Lord to do in His community, in this community? And what are we expecting God to do? This is not a name it and claim it kind of, that's not what I'm saying at all. That's not it at all. But I'm saying that God is at work. And we can either join Him and watch Him do incredible things. We can just get comfortable and do our own thing and miss the incredible. Not as long as I'm pastor. We won't miss the incredible. And it can happen in this building on a Sunday morning. It can happen on the ball field on a Saturday afternoon. It can happen at your workplace on a Tuesday afternoon. It can happen in, the, in your schools on a Thursday morning. Don't miss. Simeon and Anna could have easily missed, but they were looking, they were longing, and they were living, waiting for God to show up. And He did. And now to Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday as we... Hey, see you next year.